In today's second reading, we are told how we are to live our lives in unity with the body of Christ. The second reading is from Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. During January and February, the, the, uh, the text, the theme for the sermon is, is the fruit of the Spirit. Can we have that slide, please? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. But most of us have not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit here is, is difficult, and it's like, it's like trying to grab a handful of smoke. And so last week I, I suggested a couple of other ways that we can think about the power, the power behind these things. The effect of being a Christian The effect of being a Christian, love, joy, peace, patience. The result, the result of having Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Love, joy, peace, patience. All of those things, three things, say the same thing. The power of the Holy Spirit, the effect of being a Christian, the result of having Jesus Christ. The result is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self Control. Let's look at that, that list. The first one is love. And of course, love is the most fundamental of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And love has got to do with how we get along with other people. The next two are personal. Joy and peace are personal. The next several are how we got to do with other people. Kind, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, faithfulness and gentleness have got to do with how we get along with each other. And the last one, self-control, is partly personal. How we control ourselves. And it's partly how we deal with other people. We deal with people with self-control. Today we talk about patience. We, 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 we make jokes about patience. God, give me patience and give it to me now. Right? And I think we, 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 make, we make jokes about patience because it says how really hard it is to be patient. Have the next slide. Now here, Lucy is praying. And she says, um, I was praying for greater patience and understanding, but I quit. I was afraid I might get it. (laughs) 
You see, she was afraid that she's going to get patience and she's going to be transformed in, into a new kind of person. And she's had a lot, of pra- a lot of practice being impatient. And she doesn't want to change. Someone has said that patience, patience is, is having your motor idling when you want to strip your gears. That's patience. Jesus never taught about patience. There is no teaching from our Lord Jesus Christ about being patient. And consider this. Can an impatient person be saved? Is impatience such a terrible thing that it excludes you from the kingdom of God? I hope not. Patience. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the the effect of being a Christian. It's part of the result of having Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Patience. It's hard. Patience is really hard. You know, we can become impatient with God. And sometimes it's important to be patient, impatient. If you have someone who is sick and you go to the emergency room and you're in a line behind, between, behind somebody who has got a splinter and, and somebody who's got a headache and you've got somebody who's dying, it pays to be impatient because impatience can save a life. But that doesn't happen very often, does it? Let's think about why why are we impatient? Where does impatience come from? Impatience comes from the ego. Impatience means I am better than you. I am more important than you. I come first. And I judge you. And I find you wanting. I find you to be inefficient. I find you to be in my way. I find you to be doing things I don't think you should be doing. You're not doing things my way. I'm important. And you're not important. And I'm impatient over you. I have trouble with impatience. And let me tell you about my struggle with being impatient and the effect that it has on my life. Um, While I don't like dogs, you know that, uh, I do play golf. I enjoy playing golf. And when you play golf, golf has a certain rhythm to it. From tee to green, Dr. Jones, you know this, from tee to green, it's like driving on, a, on an empty superhighway. It's got a rhythm to it. And you play your best golf that way. But it's not always that way. And one of the, the problems with golf is slow play. Slow play is driving people off the golf courses. And so it happens to me from time to time where I'm playing along and uh, I catch up with my friends and I catch up with a, with a foursome who are playing and they're so slow 
that the two holes in front of them are empty. And we're watching them. Now, these guys are not very good. None of them will break 90. They line up every putt as it's going to win them $1,000. And when they get off, when they're done, they just kind of meander off the green towards the golf cart as if there's nobody else there in the whole world. And that drives me nuts. Now, I know. I know they have a right to do that. I know they paid their money. I know they're having a good time. I know all of that. It just drives me nuts because they are so inconsiderate. And I want to go up and tell them, you know, move along. But you can't do that. I play golf from time to time with a fellow, and um, he plays better than I do, a little bit better. But he always beats me more than the difference of our games because he has learned patience. So that when he comes across an, a, a group like that playing so slowly, what he does is he gets in the cart and sits down. And he sits there and he waits until they move, and then he gets out of the cart, and he plays his game. Meanwhile, I, I'm standing by the cart, and I'm fuming. Yeah, I, I'm really angry about it. And the reason he beats me so much is that my impatience ruins my game. Impatience affects you. I have to learn to chill out. Have to chill out. We, we get impatient with God. We want God to answer our prayers, answer them right away in exactly the same way that we prayed them. We do that. I have a friend who used to say that, that God is as slow as molasses in January, but he's never late. God arrives at the right time. And we have to be patient. Have to be patient with God and leave it, leave it in God's hands. But the fruit of the Spirit that we're studying now, those things are there not just for, for, for the personal growth. They're really there for the sake of the church. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest of it, that's about life in the church. Because let's be honest, we will rub each other the wrong way. And we will disagree with each other. And we will become impatient with each other. Isn't that right? That's the way we are. And our individuality makes sure that we do that. And if that gets out of hand, that's terrible for a Christian community. And impatience is terrible for a Christian community because it drives people apart. And so the fruit of the Spirit is about congregational life. That and, and 1 Corinthians 13. How many of you know 1 Corinthians 13, what it is? That's the love chapter, right? You remember the love chapter? They read it at all the weddings. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, 
I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. But 1 Corinthians 13 was not written for weddings. It was written for congregational life. It was written to a congregation that was being torn apart by factions and divisions. There was a a, a part of the congregation, the Paul party, they liked Pastor Paul. And there was the Peter party, that they liked Pastor Peter. And there was another another faction that said, the heck with both of you, we like Jesus. And they were squabbling with each other. And they were squabbling because some people thought that their spiritual gifts were better than other people's spiritual gifts. And I've said it before that if the church in Corinth existed today, the bishop would come and close it down. Because it was so torn apart by factions and divisions. And 1 Corinthians 13 was written to that church to help them learn to get along. And so beginning in in verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is patient and kind. And this week, the sermon is about patience. And next week, the next fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Here's what love is like. Love is patient and love is kind. That's two things. Two positive things. Now, there are some negative things. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. That's all the stuff that love doesn't do that they were doing in that church. And then back to the positives again. Love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And love is patient. And I don't say this because this church is being torn apart by divisions. It certainly is not. I lift this up now when things are good to empower us when we irritate each other or get on each other's nerves or have a disagreement, we learn to work it out in peace. We learn to be patient with each other because we do that in strength. And patience, patience builds up the body of Christ. Another word for that is long-suffering. Sometimes it's long-suffering. And long-suffering brings me to a dark side of patience. And that is persecution. Because the church of Jesus Christ is being persecuted. I read somewhere that in the last century, in the 20th century, more Christians were persecuted in the last century than in all the centuries before. And more Christians were martyred in the last century than in all the centuries before. 
Some think that there is persecution of Christians in this country. I think there is indeed a, a subtle persecution of Christians. In Iraq, in Iraq, I, I can't keep Iran and Iraq straight. But since Saddam Hussein was killed, half the Christians in that, in that country have fled. In Syria, 800,000 Christians have been forced out of their homes. With all the talk these days about refugees, you want to know where they come from? A lot of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted. I have the next slide. When Val and I were on Bali, we found persecution on the island of Bali. Bali uh, is Hindu. All the rest of Indonesia is Muslim. Bali is Hindu. And it's tightly controlled by the leaders of the, the, of the Hindu faith in each village. And this family became Christian. The only ones in their village. And their house was burned down and they were denied water for their fields because the water is controlled by, by local, you would say, local Hindu councils. The water comes from the top of the mountain all the way down to the bottom of the mountain and it is distributed to all the farms and they can close you off in a heartbeat. And these folks accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they lost their home and they lost their means of making a living. Dal and I were privileged enough to go and, and help them pay for their, for their new home. See, the church there in Indonesia, the church in Bali, was doing what the church is called to do. To bring people to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the fundamental job of the church. And these people came and they believed. And they lost everything because of it. Is it worth it? It's a challenging idea. Would you do the same thing? Would you give it all up for Jesus Christ? These people did. In other parts of Indonesia, there is persecution of Christians. Some of the Muslims attack Christians. They, they kill them. Uh, they burn their homes. They burn their churches. It's persecution. But on also in some places in Indonesia, the Christians do it back to the Muslims. The Christians run out of patience. Now the Bible says, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But those Christians have had enough. And they returned evil for evil. And they brought disgrace on the name of Jesus Christ. I can understand that they ran out of patience. I guess we all have our limits. But you can't do that. That doesn't say that when you're being persecuted, you don't stand up for yourself. Of course, you can stand up for yourself. But we do not return evil for evil. If there is to be vengeance, God will bring it. 
I want to read you some verses from St. Paul who wrote to the Corinthians, the same church from 1 Corinthians 13. St. Paul wrote this about himself. He's an evangelist. To the present hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed. We are beaten. And we are homeless. We grow weary from the work of our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we speak kindly. That's what we do as Christians. But Christians around the world are being persecuted. We're not so much. But in all things, we are patient. Patience is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Patience is the effect of being a Christian. Patience is the result of having Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And patience is not natural. But patience is to be of the character of every man and woman and boy and girl who lives in the shadow of the cross. Amen.